right now on the Ringer Gambling Feed and all throughout the entire month of August, the East Coast Bias Boys are getting you ready to bet the NFL this season. We're going through each and every single division and revealing our favorite futures, predicting division winners, and even giving you some award winners. Do we think the Kansas City Chiefs will repeat or will they be dethroned? Tune in now to find out on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Pure Leaf Iced Tea. Go beyond reality with new Pure Leaf Blackberry Iced Tea and discover a very delicious world bursting with unexpected blackberry flavor. A world so full of refreshing blackberry iced tea that you may never want to leave. But there's always time to linger. Try new Pure Leaf Blackberry Iced Tea. Visit Amazon.com slash Pure Leaf and enter 20 Pure Leaf for 20% off your purchase of new Pure Leaf Blackberry Iced Tea. This episode is brought to you by Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com. A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. All right, everyone, welcome back to The Pod Has Spoken. The last episode of our podcast was pretty well received. Uh, We did our fantasy draft. Again, reminder to the players who didn't get selected. It was all pretend, guys. I know some people got on social media, were a little feisty. They didn't get selected. I don't choose the cast. We don't choose the all-star cast here. Maybe we do. Maybe we have that much uh, input. I don't know. We'll see what the all-star cast actually is. Don't get your feelers all in a bind if you weren't selected, because I'm sure on other lists, somebody selected you, and that should be enough for you. This week, uh, before we get into it, Riley, my co-host, always here, super stoked on the Tour de France. Yeah, we were just talking about it, saving that conversation for off-pod, because we know that's not what our listeners are tuning in for. Right. But it has been action-packed, and it's pretty much over now. Uh, Was fun to watch while it lasted. Yeah. What else have you been up to, Riley? Uh, watching old Survivor. Uh, Eating a lot of ice cream as I recover from my wisdom oh, tooth extraction. Right. Although we're getting to the point that I, I can't really uh, continue to make that excuse anymore for my diet. Did you try popsicles yet? No, I did not try popsicles. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm just such a big ice cream guy that uh, yeah, I've been sticking with that. I, I feel like you're very rigid. I'm rigid. Oh, like in my eating habits Unwavering. And, and well just ice cream like i was like popsicles are good too i guess i, I feel like i'm just not a popsicle person i don't know i can't remember really? the last time i had a popsicle there's nothing refreshing about ice cream dude you would know too living in arizona it makes yeah it makes you thirsty like can you imagine like oh it's 110 outside i'm gonna just like you know wet my whistle with some ice cream that's disgusting <laughs> Popsicles are where it's Wait, at. Wait, ice cream is amazing when it's 110 outside. That's when no, people get not. it, is when it's not warm. You have to drink like a gallon of water before you eat ice cream and then like another gallon after. Well. Like a popsicle stands alone. You don't need uh, any amount of water to pre-lube or post-lube your ice cream intake. I feel like if I'm in the mood for a popsicle, I'm actually just in the mood for like an Aperol spritz or a cocktail or something like that. Fine. I guess to each their own. Maybe it'll change if and when I have kids, then then popsicles will come I back. I think probably when you're, maybe when your palate matures a little yeah. bit. Yeah, <laughs> matures to popsicles. <laughs> <laughs> We're also here with our other co-host and producer, Ashley Smith. Ashley, are you popsicle or ice cream person? I'm both. I'm very much both. I'm big on ice Playing cream. Playing it safe with this answer. No, she's not. We're going to dig into this a little more. <laughs> I'm very lactose intolerant. Yeah. So I'm not supposed to get into ice cream. Uh-huh. But 
I say, ha, huh, into the face of my intolerance. You don't care. And I just go for it. Yeah. Do you take uh, medication before you're going to like, you know, eat a pint of ice cream or you don't? You're just like, whatever, there's toilets around. <laughs> I, I mean, I should. I have, have like the little lactate pills. Yeah. So I'm like, oh, I should pop one or two before. But then I go, I don't have the time. You don't. You got to get that I gotta ice cream. got to get into this ice cream. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So let's say you're like out in the middle of the desert and mm-hmm. there's a stand. There's two stands. There's an ice cream uh, cart and a popsicle cart. Which one you taking? Ooh. What kind of ice cream is at the ice cream cart? Your favorite. My favorite yep. ice cream? But I'm in the desert. It's also your favorite popsicle at the popsicle stand. So. Oh, man. Okay. Well, I'm going to have to go for a popsicle because I'm dying of thirst. Exactly. Yeah. Riley. Right. Okay. Exactly. They're much more high. So pop- popsicles win when you're, yeah. you know, dehydrated in when the desert dying. and ice cream wins uh-huh. in other scenarios. <laughs> uh, we, Which you is haven't more named a scenario where it wins. <laughs> you haven't named a scenario where it yes. wins. Every other After scenario wisdom, besides tooth dying in the desert. Surgery, ice cream won you for didn't me. try popsicle. <laughs> you didn't try popsicle. Uh, that's because I was already you, so in on ice you, cream. That's what I'm saying. That's that's what's wrong with everything that's going on everywhere in this world is that there people are so rigid <laughs> and they're just like, I'm unwilling to step outside the boundaries of ice cream to try a popsicle for the first time in my life to see if I enjoy it more. Wow. We're, get, we're getting into the problems of like the whole society here. I, popsicles and ice cream explains all of it. <laughs> you've already tried. <laughs> yeah, you've made your mind up. You've made your decision. Without it's not like I've never even, had a popsicle before. I've had popsicles. I know that I prefer ice cream, but not with your wisdom teeth extraction. Maybe they're extra soothing. All right, I will. I will go buy a popsicle it's too late. today. No, you got to go and get like your wisdom teeth reopened. Yeah. Nice get and tender. <laughs> Make it fair. This guy. So I such ice cream bias. I can't even. It's hard now for me to take anything you say, Riley, without that grain of salt of like, oh, he probably hasn't tried the other side. <laughs> I have tried the other side. I've tried popsicles, man. Mm-hmm. I know mm-hmm. it's not going to be that different after the wisdom tooth surgery. Listen, our listeners are upset at you and that's fine. I'm sticking by you. You're going to be on here next week, no matter what. I think our listeners agree with me. Ice cream is better than popsicles. We'll, we'll ask them. We have a listener here with us, Olivia. Ashley, what is Olivia's title? Um, super cool intern. Super cool intern. Unmute yourself, mm-hmm. Olivia. That's the first step here. Popsicles or ice cream? I am from a place where it is super humid, mm-hmm. and so popsicles are not helpful. Where are you from? Georgia. Mm-hmm. And why are popsicles not helpful in a humid environment? Because there's already like enough water around me. There's enough wetness in the air that I don't feel refreshed from a popsicle. Yeah, And so if I'm not going to be refreshed by my dessert, I might as well go for the tastier option, which is ice cream. Okay. There we go. Very fair, Olivia. Uh, see, Thank Riley, you. all you had to say was that. So Olivia picks ice cream. I pick ice cream. Ashley's split between the two, even though she's lactose intolerant. I count that as a win for ice yeah. cream. So I think that's three to one. I mean, this is such a small sample size. Okay, <laughs> we'll, we'll open it up to the wider audience. But let's get into our mailbag stuff. We had our listeners uh, submit some questions, universal survivor questions. This is about survivor after all. I chose the best ones I thought and sent them to Ashley, who will be reading them to us. We'll see if Riley can answer any of them uh, because they're mostly (laughs) so internal behind the scenes survivor questions. Yeah, let's get into it. Ashley, do we have good questions and how are you like lining them up? Did you put them in any particular order? Um, I have them in order in my head oh. of the ones that I would like to hear about as well. Okay. So yes. Yeah, so first I'm going to start with the very first one you sent me. Sydney from Portland. Yep. Hi, Sydney. Will you break down what you think would have happened on Heroes versus Villains had you and Rob made the merge? Mm-hmm. Did you have a final three plan? And I would also love to hear about the pre-jury trip from that season. I can imagine a vacation with you, Rob, James, Cherie, had to be pretty, a pretty good time. Yeah. So uh, first part, Heroes versus Villains, I famously switched my vote from Russell to Parv in splitting the vote. If I had not switched it, Russell would have gone home. Because I switched it uh, and the idol got played on Parv, I ended up leaving that that night. Uh, I didn't tell my alliance. I didn't tell 
anybody. And the reason I included this question and sent this to you is because this one got asked the most, something similar to this. And uh, probably 10, 10 people asked some type of question along the lines of what happened that night. So uh, some of the questions were like, did you tell anybody? I did not tell anybody. I felt in token chains like sometimes uh, with producers asking leading questions, uh, it could manipulate the outcome. Uh, so even subconsciously or whatever with, with contestants. So I chose to keep it to myself knowing that it would be all on me. So I did not tell anybody from production. I did not tell anybody. I just went in. I decided if you gotta, you gotta take risks to win this game. In hindsight, very bad move, not only because I went home, but because I betrayed what my alliance thought I would do. So coming back to an alliance after doing the opposite of what you said you would do would not be pleasing to them anyways, and they would always mistrust you. But what would have happened is we would have had the strong majority in the villains tribe. So we would have ran to the merge pretty strong. When I left, Rob wasn't able to keep Coach and Jerry in line with him and Sandra and Courtney. And then Russell, Danny, and Parv were on the other side of that. And they pulled Coach and and uh Jerry with them once I left, but I would have been able to hold that all together. So we would have had a strong six group there that would have, you know, Russell would have gone, Parv probably would have gone next, Danny, maybe if we didn't get to the merge yet. Uh, so I think that six uh, group would get to the merge. And then at that point, I knew that Rob would not take me to the end. And I also knew that I didn't really want to take him to the end either. And so it would have been a weird cat and mouse of who fired the shot first and when. I don't know that I necessarily would have pulled anybody from the hero side. I mean, you got to play nice with everybody. I would have pretended like I was working with JT. And a lot of those heroes on that side were a lot easier to manipulate than the villains tribe. So, you know, pulling those guys in just to utilize them. But uh, I didn't have a set plan going into the merge. So I think we would have whittled it down quite a bit. And then Rob would have had to fire at me or I would have had to fire at Rob at some point and split up that group of six. And who knows? I have no clue where the lines would be drawn. Can you can you back up for one second yeah. and explain yeah. what the logic was to switching your vote? My logic to switching the vote was I knew nobody liked Russell. Everybody complained about how much he stunk. Everybody complained about Everything he did, everybody like literally was, stunk or yeah, yeah, like stinky <laughs> and how aggro he was and how he was in everybody's face all the time and how he was super paranoid. And I know, but everybody, even his alliance was complaining about that. Yeah. And I knew he had an idol uh, because he showed it to coach and coach told me and he had been digging around for it all day long. And that was another reason that people also didn't like him. And so I thought to myself, you know, like I can tolerate Russell, but I can't allow Parv to get to the merge where she's had relationships with almost the entire hero's tribe yeah. in some degree. So I was like, I can't allow her to get to the merge where she's got seven friends on the other side. Uh, she needs to go. Russell, where's he going to go if Parv's gone? He's going to come to me because he has nobody. And I have been the most like open to even having conversations with him and the least bothered by him. And so I thought, I'll have him, I'll have his idol to a certain degree, at least know about it and where it is. And Parv will be gone before she can get to the merge. So that was my thinking. I thought Parv was for sure the move. Uh, but that's the thing is like, you have to also go with the, your group there. And like, if I could not convince my group that Parv needed to go, then I just needed to like suck it up and go with who they wanted or jump ship and go to a different alliance, which I was had no intention of doing. So yeah, that's the lesson for future Survivor players. Um, and then the pre-jury trip was incredible. James actually tore his ACL and everyone from the Heroes Tribe who had been voted out before him hated James and James hated them and they would not cross paths with each other. And production purposely kept James away from Ponderosa where everybody was at to prohibit all the fighting they thought would happen. So uh, besides that, James needed surgery on his ACL. 
So they said, we got to send him to a place that has a nice hospital that he can get uh, surgery, but still keep him away from going home to the U.S. So they determined that they would send all the pre-jury to Fiji. And they actually sent him there the day I got voted out or the day after. And I wanted to go with them, but they were like, no, you have to stay back, Tyson. Uh, and they kept me back purposely because they knew the next person was going to be Rob. And they knew that me and Rob together would be the best on the trip rather than have us be separated and both like bugged by what happened. So Rob came out. They didn't tell me. They just were like, the person you're, that's getting voted out, you like, you're going to be fine. He got voted out. I gave him a hug, told him I was sorry. He laughed. He's like, as long as you know that that fucked up our game. And I was like, I do. <laughs> I do know that. Sorry. And then they let Rob and I choose. Uh, so James was hiding. He didn't come to Ponderosa. We saw him get voted out, but then he was not around. And uh, all of the heroes that have been everybody that had been voted out, but it was mostly heroes plus Randy went to Fiji and they told me and Rob, they said, you guys have to stick together. You guys cannot separate, but you can go to Australia with James where he's going to have surgery and hang out in Sydney for a couple weeks, or you can go to Fiji and hang out with the other pre-jurors in Fiji. And that was our option. Uh, we chose Australia. Both of us individually decided on Australia because for me, I don't know what Rob's thinking was. For me, I thought that there was going to be a lot of explosive personalities that were going to have some angst about how the show went down for him on the pre-jury thing. It always happens. So I thought Sydney would be better. And I'd been on a beach for like two and a half, three weeks straight there. So I was like, get me to a city. So we went to Sydney and it was insane. Like Rob is the golden child of Survivor and CBS. and I think they explicitly gave, uh, they sent us me, James, Rob, and a handler who had wads of cash to spend in our wake wherever we went, uh, came with us. And the handler's job is to make sure like we don't get into trouble, to keep us all together, to make sure people aren't like taking pictures, to post spoilers, all of that stuff. We get to Australia in Sydney and they put us in this Marriott and Rob is like, this won't do. Marriott, I'm not staying here. And he's like, the Four Seasons doesn't seem that much more expensive. The handler was like, we're already here. We already have it booked out. And Rob's like, you can cancel it and let's go to the Four Seasons. And the handler's like, no. And Rob's like, then let me talk to Mark Burnett personally. And they were like, okay, we'll go to the Four Seasons. So they move us from the Marriott after one night. They move us from the Marriott to the Four Seasons. We each had like corner suite. I was overlooking the, the opera house. Like I opened my window in the morning and the opera house was like, below me. Then when you go on these pre-jury trips at the time, now they've changed it and they do per diems and stuff because I think of mm, Rob, our trip together. We would purposely go and spend as much money as we could uh, of the network's money trying to figure out how to get our million dollars. <laughs> uh, so we would go to the concierge. Every day I would eat all the candy and snacks out of James' mini bar at the Four Seasons. James would drink all of the alcohol out of his and mine every day. <laughs> we cleared out both mini bars every day. That was a goal. And then we would go to the concierge and ask them the most expensive things to do and the most expensive restaurants to go to. We just ran a list. We'd go to the fanciest restaurants. But when you go out in Australia, you have to wear leather shoes and you have to wear like a jacket and you have no hats. And we did not fit in. Like everybody's wearing slacks, leather shoes just to go out to eat. And people thought we were like either a rock band or Americans. Uh, and it was Americans. We were Americans. But some places wouldn't let us in. So then we were like, well, we can't even get in. And it's kind of chilly out here because it's like moving into the wintertime mm. uh, based on the Southern Hemisphere stuff. And so we get approval to go spend like $1,500 at the mall on clothing and they're going to give us this budget. And I think Rob bought a pair of tuxedo shoes for $1,500. Like he just like bought one thing and then his money was gone. And I bought two, I bought a jacket and shoes, but we were like, let's just get super expensive stuff. That sounds hilarious. We worked our way down. We bought front row 50 yard line tickets to the rugby games. We went to like, uh, all these luxury theaters, watched every single movie we could. 
I think we bought DVD players for every room and then would go buy DVDs at like their equivalent of Best Buy or whatever and watch like DVDs nonstop. And then we just threw all that stuff in the trash when we left. It was crazy. Like we were just like done and we could do anything we wanted. We, we went swimming in the Sydney Harbor Aquarium before it opened with the sharks. So I have video of me and Rob and James in the shark tank at the aquarium before it opened. Uh, we went to the zoo. We did so much fun stuff. And every day the handler was like, guys, they are killing me. They're telling me to curb our spending and you guys are not making it easy. We'd literally go to a restaurant and just find what the most expensive thing is and just order it and not care. And then order it again as the appetizer as well. It was just like, oh, $500 lobster? Yes. And also get one for the table before we eat our individual lobsters as the appetizer to the lobster. <laughs> and it like went like that. And then one day, like a week or two into it, I caught our handler at the concierge begging them to give him some restaurants that seemed fancy, but weren't as expensive. I caught him and Rob, I told Rob and Rob was like, this is not happening. And we put the kibosh on that real quick. Uh, before we move on, one last story from this trip that was really crazy is we went to like one of the first nights we went out. They were like, here's the, one of the most expensive restaurants in town. It's like the Nobu of Sydney. It's got a different name. It's like on the very top of this high rise. You go in at the bottom. There's a line going in the door. And then there's like an elevator guy who lets you on. Everybody's dressed in like dresses and slacks and leather shoes and combed hair. And we've got like backwards baseball caps and jeans and tennis shoes. And the line goes like down the street around the corner to get into this place. Rob's like, I'm like, I'm not waiting in this line. He's like, we don't have to. Let's go to the front. And I was like, okay. So we walk, four of us, James, me, Rob, the handler, walk to the front of this line. And the elevator guy or doorman or whoever puts his hand on Rob's chest as he tries to get in the elevator. He's like, you have reservations? He's like, of course we do, bro. And the guy's like, oh, in the elevator then, uh, gentlemen. And I'm like, what are we going to do? So we go up all the way to the top, all the way up. And I'm like, what are we doing? And Rob's like, watch. And we walk in. He's like, just follow me, play it cool. We walk in and we just sit at a table that had a reserve sign on it. Just sit down. And somebody comes over like, excuse me, gentlemen, uh, this seat's actually reserved for not you guys. And Rob's like, well, do you have a bar or something? And they're like, yeah, you can sit at the bar. Nobody's at the bar. Like the line is out the door. We go to the bar and Rob's like, fine, we'll go to the bar. But I need to talk to the head chef. And they're like, okay. And they bring this guy out. And the whole time Rob's just like, this is what we're doing. And the head chef comes out and Rob's like, look, there's four of us here. This is what I want you to do. And I want you to do it yourself because you're the head chef and you probably created the menu. So you know exactly how everything should be prepared. There's four of us here. I want you to make four of your finest dish, your number one dish, the most expensive dish, the most delicious dish, whatever it is, make four of them, one for each of us. Then as soon as you're done doing that, make the second most exquisite dish you have here and go on down the line for all four of us. And if we like something enough, we'll tell you that, that we want another one of those and you can make another one of those for us. And we'll keep going until we beg you to stop. And he's like, okay, no problem. And I think we spent a few thousand dollars at the sushi restaurant. Uh, no problem. And... <laughs> <laughs> and James probably drank like 30 shots of like high end stuff too. So that was the other thing. Like he was just like drinking like crazy. It was, uh, yeah, it was insane. I enjoyed it. I wouldn't have wanted to be in the driver's seat in that moment, but Rob was so confident in just like getting his way that it worked out. And that was everywhere we went. Everywhere we went, it was just like, here we are. Uh, what's the most expensive? And we were do it every single time. So my estimation is between the three of us, excluding the hotel stay just on food and entertainment alone, probably forty to $50,000 in like two weeks. Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> and then when Rachel went on her pre-jury trip a few years later from Blood Versus Water, they gave each player $100 a day per deal. <laughs> It's pretty certain that it's because of that Australia trip that Rob and I took that now the rules for the pre-jury trip have changed to 
not all expenses paid, just enough to get by. Yeah. Okay, so if you if you ever find yourself in Sydney, Australia with Boston Rob, stick close. Well, hopefully we have a handler who is paying for everything too. <laughs> yeah. Oh my gosh. And the handler felt like such a boss, dude. Like we'd go in somewhere and he'd be like, don't worry, I'll take care of it. Like it's his own <laughs> money, just like making it rain. Like everybody look at me. And we all had to go by aliases. So like in the hotel, the like you stay at like a fancy place and they memorize your name purposely. But we are booked under aliases. And so none of us like ever responded to anybody in the hotel which they probably thought just made us like seem so like people were like, Hey, are you like a band? What's going on? Like me, James, Rob, we're in a rock band. Uh, but like people, my alias was Timothy Andrews. They usually go by what your initials and then make up a name for you. Yeah. And, uh, they were like, uh, Mr. Andrews, I hope you're having a great day. Don't even care. <laughs> Not me. Don't understand what, why they're saying Andrews at me. And I just, it took me too long to make that connect every time somebody would call me Mr. Andrews that I just was like, and I was like, I must have seemed like such an asshole, but it was not on purpose at all. It was just like, didn't catch it. Um, and then along those lines, when I went uh, back on uh, Winners at, at no, when I went back on Blood versus Water, no, Winners at War, they give you, they always give you the same alias. And so once you played Survivor, your alias is always the same. Uh, unless they forget it or new people come in and they ask you what it used to be. So on Winners at War, they asked me what my alias has been on Survivor. And it's always been Timothy Andrews. Uh, but I thought that's boring. So when they asked me what my alias was for Winners at War, I said T-Bone Alvarez. And that's what was on everywhere I went was T-Bone Alvarez was my, yeah. <laughs> my <laughs> which is better, right? Yeah, definitely not suspicious at all. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and they just went with it. It took them a little while before they were like, is that really it? Because we've been using it, but it doesn't feel like that's probably what they gave you. I was like, I made that up, but cool, right? This episode is brought to you by Pure Leaf Iced Tea. Go beyond reality with new Pure Leaf Blackberry Iced Tea and discover a berry delicious world bursting with unexpected blackberry flavor. A world so full of refreshing blackberry iced tea that you may never want to leave. But there's always time to linger. Try new Pure Leaf Blackberry Iced Tea. Visit amazon.com slash pureleaf and enter 20 Pure Leaf for 20% off your purchase of new Pure Leaf Blackberry Iced Tea. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. We're not all professional athletes, but we all have health goals. That's why Anytime Fitness gives you access to personalized plans and support from a coach. Plus, you can track your training, nutrition, and recovery progress with the Anytime Fitness app just like the pros. With 24-7 access to more than 5,000 gyms worldwide, get more from your gym membership, visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, restrictions, all apply. See website for details. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on, I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, Tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. Okay, on to the next. All right. This is a question from Caroline. Mm -hmm. She asked what would happen uh, to the host mm -hmm. if probes had to leave mid-season. But I want to do a little expansion on that question okay. and ask you both your theories on who would replace Probst. Let's say if he one day decides to retire, oh. 
and they want to have someone from Survivor, one of the contestants, who do you think they would choose to host? Um, I don't think it will be a contestant. Just because you were a contestant doesn't mean that you have the skill set that you need to be a host and that you're proven enough to be that person. Yeah. Uh, and historically, they haven't kicked jobs to contestants like that. So I would be shocked. I would be partly shocked if it was. Uh, I think uh, I think Paul Jonathan LaPlaglia, is that his name from the Australian version? I do not know how to I say his Paul, name. <laughs> Sorry. I don't know how to say his name either, but uh, I think he does a pretty good job. I think an Australian accent uh, on Survivor just makes sense. And I would uh, pull him over to the uh, US version and slap a replacement in for the Australian version. So uh, that's what I, I mean, I'm not in charge, but I think like that would be a natural move. And then what happens to Jeff Probst if, if they, if he had an, an emergency, like a family emergency or needed to get out of there? I honestly do not know. Do they have like, what's that guy called that has to lead the government and they have him hidden away somewhere if well, something like designated happens. survivor designated survivor do they have a designated survivor for survivor where he's i'm just sure like there's a backup plan hidden yeah. in a bunker somewhere is the, i mean is there any like producer that seems like the prominent like number two person or i mean they have the ep uh, matt van wagman they also have uh they also have the guy that makes all the challenges that's been making the challenges from the get-go, uh, John, uh, John Kerhofer. And so there are people, but nobody that I think that, but like the show would have to go on. Like you can't film half a season and then mm-hmm. like cut it. Cause the host, like maybe they could put it on hold and figure stuff out for a second for a few days. But that seems really, that's an insane thing to think. Like, I don't, I've never even thought that could be a possibility, but yeah. I don't know. I I put that in there because I genuinely do not know. I've never even thought of it. It hasn't crossed my mind. And uh, I just want it to cross everyone's mind like it crossed mine. And I was like, wow, hmm, I don't know. I mean, there's got to be like a like a backup plan. It's like, you know, with with Jeopardy, where that one producer, Mike Richards, tried to make himself host. I don't know that there would be yeah. that type of like almost coup attempt uh, in Survivor, but I'm I'm guessing it's like a Matt Van Wagenen or somebody else like steps in and performs emergency host duties because they just, they have to have a plan. There's got to be something. Yeah, you would think definitely. I'll ask, maybe I'll ask. Okay. I thought Island of the Idols was almost a little bit of a trial run to see how Boston Rob would do in like somewhat of a host role. And I think it was kind of- One of the most celebrated seasons. Yeah, everyone's favorite. I think that I think he was a little like, you know, he's great as a reality TV contestant, but not necessarily in the host role. And it like it was eye opening. And it's like, oh, those are like very different things. Being Jeff Probst is a lot lot of pressure, too, especially if you feel like that is what they're doing is like, let's see. Like that's yeah. Interesting. Being the host would be a lot of pressure, too. So it's like being the host would be a lot of pressure. yeah. Yeah. So you would need to perform in those moments there. So I always say if I had been selected for Island of the Idols and they were like, Tyson, what do you want to do? I was like, when the people come to the Island of the Idols, they don't know that we're there at all. Right. They never do. And they, you have them walk in. It's got to be at night and they have to walk through this like canopy towards this fire. And at some point I jump out and scare the fucking shit out of them. And that's it. That's all I want. I was just in the jungle while they're just like already on edge, not knowing what's going to happen. And that's like the whole thing. Like that's, that's it. probably the pinnacle of every, no. And then like we have the conversations and hang out and I give them whatever wisdom I have, but it always opens with me uh, scaring the crap out of them somewhere. Okay. No, is that not good TV? I think they were going for a little bit of a different vibe though. You think? Yeah. Ashley, it's funny though, right? I think it's really funny. Yeah, yeah it's really funny. <laughs> And then I'd take him fishing and like do that stuff rather than just be like, think you can beat me at fire. I bet you can't. Look at how good I am. So yeah. I support. Yeah. Scare them. Teach them how to fish. Go have a fun day with them. And then put them in their place with with fire or whatever. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And then show them that I'm better than them or something. Uh, Yeah. Perfect. 
so yeah, okay. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to have to text Matt Van Wagner and uh, I will have an answer on this podcast at some point. Okay, stay tuned. Okay. Stay tuned. What's, what's next, Ashley? All right, I think we have time for like two more, okay. but I want to give this next question mm-hmm. to our super intern, Olivia. Olivia? I had a lot of questions about Ponderosa, but uh-huh. someone already asked some questions about that. So I'll go to another one of my questions, okay. um, which is, are you able to talk to the crew when you're not being interviewed? And if so, has a crew member ever given you a little nudge or like helped you out a little bit? Oh man, you're asking hard wow. questions. <laughs> Tyson, have you ever cheated at Survivor? <laughs> I mean, I stole gasoline to make fire. Uh, we shared that early on in the history of That's this true. podcast. But first of all, the, the producers and the crew members are very careful as much as they can be about helping people. Like, I think, yeah, they're human. People have biases. Sometimes you get along better with somebody and maybe that translates into something like in their mannerisms and stuff. But in general, I would say it's very hard to determine. And even if they did, like, are they helping you or hurting you? Like, how do you know? Like, maybe they're just setting you up for extreme failure so that it looks cool on TV. Like, that's the things that go through my head. If I would ever hear or see anything like that is like, are they trying to help me? Are they trying to hurt me? Or are they completely oblivious to anything body language or whatever related and i'm just reading way too into it like you can never know uh but as far as being able to interact with the crew the first season you're on the show they tell you do not interact unless you've been interacted with first so a camera guy will sometimes tell you where to stand sometimes tell you to move slower sometimes tell you to get out of his way and then you can be like okay okay uh if you become a professional reality star and you're good at being a reality TV person and you know where to be and what to say and when to say it, and they like you, then they give you a lot of freedom in communicating with them. So what they don't like is something they need to film happening and then someone who's not in that thing on the side, maybe somewhere, step in and be like, hey, camera guy. And then he's like, shut up. And at that point, he will then lay the rules down and be like, do not talk to us ever. So if you're smart about that and they like you, you're given a lot of freedom. Like I'm constantly fist bumping, high-fiving camera guys. Like it's like, those guys are my friends. I've known them for over a decade. And as long as you know when it's okay to talk and when it's not okay to talk and you help them do their job better and easier, then they will allow you to pretty much talk as much as you need or want to to them but when you have crossed the boundary and accidentally or maybe even purposely ruined their shot or part of the show or something that could have been part of the show but now can't because your uh voice was over it talking to a crew member that's a big big no-no yeah you will get screamed at for that so that answer your question did i get all of it it did. It did. I'm more interested in becoming a crew member of Survivor than ever being on Survivor. I, I would die immediately. So, Well, going back to the scare thing, I love to scare crew members on the show. Not camera guys. You don't want them to drop your stuff, but uh, definitely uh, definitely like a producer. If you can get like, if a producer is like super focused or like un- completely unfocused, just zoning out and you can sneak up behind them and just like give them a little hiss in their ear as you pass, <laughs> goes a long way. Um, also back to the help thing, we were looking for food on one of my seasons and we're just like, we cannot find any food. And that's not great TV to look around and not find anything. And one of the uh, crew, uh, cruise people was like, we need you to do something. So look in there, there's a big old clam. And then we found it and then we found another one and then we found a bunch of them. And it was literally the crew person just being like, look around for some clams. There's giant clams in there. And uh, we feasted on clams. And uh, part of me regrets it because they're disgusting. Uh, But it was food. So that was good. So yeah, once in a while you get nudges. Most of the stuff, it's like, is it going to make good TV or not? And is it like, how, how important is it to the outcome of the game? If it's not important to the outcome of the game and they need some footage, then yeah, they'll nudge you a little bit. Like the coconuts on the ground aren't just like sprouting from the ground. 
those are placed there for you to collect. Okay, what else? Uh, the next question is from Jacoby. Okay. My wife and I are re-watching Survivor right now and are wondering about this challenge. Season 26, episode 12, they are balancing in the water. Andrea has her big toe locked over the middle barrier. Was this cheating? Or are you able to do that in the challenge? Andrea ended up winning. Professional opinion? Yeah. So, Andrea, she did hangover. Uh, they sent me a picture of this. So, Jacoby, when he submitted this question, he took a screenshot. And it's like this balance beam with this little middle divider. And her toe is hooked over the divider a little bit, holding on one of her big toes. Is. This is this is the challenge where it's like you're standing on a triangle in the ocean, balancing. Yeah. Yeah. Which you you did this one in Winners of War for like two seconds. Well, you didn't have a, a little beam in the middle to a toe grab yeah. over. Yeah. So I don't know what the rules were. If the rules were to keep your feet on the other side, then yes, definitely breaking the rules and could have or should have been eliminated. But there's also like sometimes there's, you know, 12, 15 people doing all of that. Like it's impossible to keep tabs on everybody at every single second of every single challenge to see if their toe crosses that. So I know on Winners at War, the play in for the second time to come back into the game from Edge of Extinction, there was this rope thing that you had to build like this rope bridge across and you had to have all pieces like connected and the place they needed to be connected, not on the wrong hook. And one of mine had dropped and I went back and just put it on a hook and it wasn't the right hook and nobody saw it. I know I did that. Call me what you will. But I think that this is probably one of those moments where it's like, yeah, I may as well take a risk if I'm going to fall anyways. Or, mm-hmm. But it might also not have been in the rules to not cross that center divider. But little stuff does slip through the cracks once in a while. They're very good about catching most of it. Uh, I've been on other shows where they don't catch any of it or they just, you know, target certain people and catch more of it. So Survivor's not that. I mean, you know what they say, though. If you're not cheating, you're not trying. Right. They do say that. Do you believe that, Riley? I mean, you should try and get away with what you can. If if Probes was like specifically, you know, don't wrap the big toe around the beam, then I guess yeah. doing that is like a, you know, pretty big violation. But yeah. if it was just kind of like not really specified, why would you not do that? Yeah. And we don't know all of the things that were specified in those rules. So that's, yeah, can say, can't say yes or no on that. Okay. What else, Ashley? This is from Bran. Okay. They say, howdy, Ty and Rye. It's us. What's a clever way to let people in camp know that you'll be away without being too suspicious? I figured I'd say, my stomach is full of chum again. Gotta go feed the fish and go off to search for advantages while they believe I have a boo-boo belly. I think that's been done before. Okay, Tyson, tell me if I'm wrong. I think that if you announced your tribe, my tummy is full of chum again, time to go feed the fish and walk off. Literally, everyone will think you're looking but for not an idol. into the ocean. Yeah. So Rob famously on uh, on his season that he won did do that. He was like, oh, my, and he kept complaining about stomach stuff all day. And then he'd run. He'd walk like he was going to, you know, go to the bathroom somewhere. And then he'd sprint and look for the idol for a little bit and then come back and then do it again. And he did it over and over until he found the idol. And so that's been done. Uh, getting time to find the idol, honestly. Like Tony stayed up all night and he would take fire out and look around at night while people were sleeping. And that was good, except for like, you don't have much visibility, but I think you just got to keep your eyes peeled and go about what you're doing. Like a lot of people go look for firewood and collect firewood while looking. It's just like, you can't get caught just like not doing anything and just only looking. I think you go about what you're going to do or you make chores for yourself where you can go look. And even though people know you're looking, as long as you don't look too hard and do actually do the task you said you were going to do, it's not as bad. Otherwise, you can, you know, you can, uh, yeah, I mean, going to the bathroom works once in a while or something like that. But the second you get caught doing that, then you're big time suspect. Yeah. So I 
I think the game is too advanced for people to believe that you're doing anything other than looking for an idol if you at any time isolate yourself individually from the group. That's the only conclusion you can come to. Even if somebody's like, I'm having a heart attack, leave me be while I die alone instead of around my mortal enemies. You're like, yeah, right. You're looking for an idol. Like, yeah, there's, that's it. You can't, you can't hide it. There is a second part of that question as well. Uh Have you caught someone doing something different from what they've originally told you um, in terms of that context? And how did you sit on that information? Yeah. I mean, that happens every day. Every minute on Survivor, somebody's coming and tattletelling on someone that's doing a thing that wasn't supposed to be doing a thing that's doing a thing that you think they're looking like that's that's the nature of the game. That is the game is taking that information and or making up that information and utilizing it to your benefit uh, while not coming across as too controlling or you know too dominant. That's the balance is being able to take that information share it at the right time with the right people because you can bank information and you should bank information. But at a certain point, if the information you want to share gets shared by someone else and then you share it, you look like an idiot. Like then people don't trust you because they're like, oh, Tyson had this information too. He didn't share it with me. This guy shared it with me. And now he's Tyson's coming to me like two days after. Like that doesn't fly. He could have come to me like days ago. So that's the, that's the ultimate balance of Survivor uh, is the timing of that and also locking your alliance in with secrets that would harm all of you if they got out. So then they have reason to keep quiet on stuff like that. So, yeah. Last question. Okay, let's have it. This one's by Gallon. Okay. What does Jeff Probst do in his downtime? Where does he stay? How many hours per day does he work during the season? Okay, so I know in the past he has stayed at resorts and I think sometimes he's with the crew or close to the crew if they're also staying at a resort style. I think now in Fiji that they've been based in Fiji for so long, I think he has a house there. I'm like 98% certain that he has a house there that he lives at while he's there. Um, And work-wise, contestants only see him at the challenges and tribal council, but he's prepped for those. And he's at the challenge when you roll up, like overseeing it with John Kerhofer and stuff. So I have to assume he's there for quite a while, maybe all day before the challenge starts. And tribal council, uh, he has notes of what happened throughout the last couple of days so that he knows what to ask people. So I have to assume he's probably almost always on the clock to some degree, getting information from producers uh, building out the the show as it's going, even like editing uh, either the show that's already been filmed or moving into the edit of the, like the, he's, don't think there's much downtime for Probst when he's on location, even though as a contestant, you only see him a little bit uh, in comparison to uh, the full experience. I'm assuming he's behind the scenes all the time. He's the executive producer of the show. He's, you know, he dictates pretty much everything that happens uh, with the crew on the show. So it's constant, constant job, I would assume. I just imagine, do you guys ever have a time when you were in like elementary school when you saw like a teacher at the grocery store or something? And you were like, what is yeah. going on? That's how it would be if I ever saw Jeff outside of the context of Survivor. Like, I just assume you yeah. go and like sleep with your eyes open <laughs> thinking about Survivor and then you come back and like host the next season. My kids still believe that the teachers live at school to a certain degree, or they're like, I have an eight-year-old and a five-year-old, and the eight-year-old gets it now. She's like, oh, they have their own houses and stuff, but there was a time where she was like, they're just at the school. I was like, no, they're not (laughs) at the school all the time. So yeah, so that's pretty funny. Probst, I think, yeah, he's always on. He's always, always, always on. I have to assume. Like, he cares about this show too much and wants to make sure that it is cr- done correctly. Yeah. And so he's doing it all. Yep. Okay, Olivia, you have any questions that are burning that you didn't get to answer? She's looking. One second. She's deciding. She's reading down her list. She's still on mute. This is a bad idea to turn it over to Olivia right now. Really? Only that... I'm just baffled that you don't brush your teeth. Oh, yeah. You just scrub it. The fuzz kind of comes off, all that stuff. Okay. The fuzz so, kind of comes off? 
that's disgusting. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, have you never like not brushed your teeth for a day and felt like there's a layer on there and you can feel it with your you tongue? Can't, you just get it with like so, some bamboo yeah. or whatever. You're just, yeah, so you're just trying to constantly keep that feeling away at bay by always having a stick in your yeah. mouth. So yeah, we do not get to brush our teeth. So yeah. Gross. And I bet that most people that have been on Survivor have some tooth issue from being on the show. Oh. I'll say a lot of a lot of the people who are on Survivor have incredibly white teeth. For some reason, like you seem to clear up a little bit when you're not eating anything hardly. Like it's a like a big fasting moment and your body goes through this detox and your skin kind of clears and brightens and your eyes and your teeth do too. No sugar. So yeah. And then also like you're on TV, like you are a TV personality. If you're not whitening your teeth before you go on the show, then like, are you in the biz? I don't know. Uh, but we don't brush our teeth and uh, it's doable. And there is part of it that's like, oh, this is a little refreshing to not have to brush my, my teeth. But at the same time, you're like, this cannot be good for my oral health. Oh, Olivia's got to look at disgust on her face. <laughs> She's like, thinks she thinks so differently of me now. Okay, uh, that was super fun. And uh, I think we will try another one in the future uh, because we have a lot of questions that did not, that got asked that did not get answered. Uh, so we will keep those in the mix. And uh, if you have other questions uh, before we hit you with volume two of the mailbag, uh, feel free to DM me on Twitter or wherever you want to. Uh, and I will most probably see it and then add it to the mix if it's good enough, unique enough, and not too generic that pretty much everyone but you knows the answer. Thank you, Riley and Ashley and intern Olivia for being here. Until next week, see ya. This episode is brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. As a ruthless king builds his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape will fight for the future of apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, enter the kingdom in IMAX on May 10th and in theaters everywhere. Get tickets now. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.